0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Ableton Music Producer Podcast. Today we're hanging out with Will Doggett. He is an Ableton certified trainer, founder of From Studio to Stage, where he has online resources teaching people how to perform with Ableton Live on stage. We nerd out pretty hard and talk about a lot of different tips and tricks and things, and this is a great episode if you are wanting to go deeper into performing using Ableton Live. I think Will does a great job with his YouTube channel and other resources showing the latest and greatest workflows and tips and gear and stuff to use. And he has been an Ableton certified trainer for a while and has helped a lot of people integrate Ableton Live into their performance setups since 2008. He's worked with a lot of really well-known artists and mega churches and people in the music industry across all genres. Before we jump into our conversation, I just want to remind you, if you haven't joined the newsletter, this is a great time to tap that link in the show notes. You'll be the first to get new episodes that come out, and I will also send you new devices and packs on occasion and things that you might be interested in. So just go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Also, if you are a Spotify listener, if you didn't know, you can go directly to the episode and... Leave a comment. Let me know what you would like to hear more of. Um, Tell me what you think about this episode and previous episodes, and it's just a good way for us to interact and to hear what you're thinking out there. Thanks in advance for hitting that follow button. Check back here every other Tuesday for new episodes, and thanks everybody for listening. Without wasting time, let's jump into this episode with Will. It took me a second to get used to the new uh, AirPod Pros, the second gen. Yeah, the noise canceling is like real intense on this, which is nice if you're on an airplane or something. But I feel like my brain's being sucked out of my head because it's like so quiet. Do you ever use the transparency mode or whatever? Do you use that at all in those? I like to use that when I'm on the phone. Okay. uh, For whatever reason, because then I can kind of hear myself talk a little bit. Otherwise, I don't know. It feels weird to me. I get that. So I don't know. But to each its own. Do you have a yeah. favorite pair of in ears since I'm sure you've used a
1: ton of different earbuds? Yeah, honestly, I'm not very fancy. Like, there's, you know, there's obviously, I've never used the, well, the two, the three that I've used before are Westone. Um, well, those are universals, UM2s, and uh, which were good. Then I used Ultimate Ear. I forget which model it was, but they were molded in ears. But I, I never liked them. Like I just, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that have UE ears and love them. Um, I never, never personally found a lot of success with them. And then what I'm using now are all clear, um, uh, six driver in ears. I think customs, and um, they're my favorite ever. Like I can again within reason i can wear them for a long time and not have issues and not feel like fatigued which is great and um and they're super affordable too which is really cool so nice i've i've honestly thought about taking you know taking one for the team and like spending a couple thousand dollars buying every pair of nice like in-ear monitors (laughs) and doing a shootout to see like does it really make a difference and it's so specific to people and it's like yeah, A lot of it's marketing hype, but I, I tend yeah. to find all is like good quality. It's not all yeah. the hype and it's, it's like affordable, which is really, really great. So I'm a big fan of these.
0: Yeah. Maybe just hit them all up and see if they're willing to send you a free pair. Tell them you're going
1: to make a really dope YouTube video or something. Yeah. That's actually, that's not a bad idea. Like saying, Hey, I'm not promising like, I'm not going to say anything bad about your brand, but if you send them to me, I'm not going to necessarily say that this is what I choose, but I just want to give a kind of like what I like or don't like about each. So that's, that's not a bad idea, actually. I would tune into that because
0: I'm probably going to be in the market for another set of in-ears. I mean, there's, they're all over the place. The ones that I've been using for a while that I like when I perform live, the Shure SE846, okay. um, they're like 900 bucks. They're pretty decent. But I've played with a fair amount of different ones. Oh, cool. I tend to really like these. The bass and like the mid-range is really clear, which cool. as a drummer, I feel like that's kind of important.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I like that I think All-claire does better than anyone else is um, they do a really good job of helping you based on what instrument you're playing or what your goal with them is to like push you down that path. Yeah. Um. Because they they they're not gonna like try to sell you. I think they have in ears that are, three to four thousand dollars, maybe more. Like they have like, audiophile whatever. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but they do a really good job of saying if you're a guitar player, you don't need like incredible low end response. If you're a bass player, drummer, you do. Or these are tuned a little more for that. It's not like they don't have good response, but, uh, but that's cool. I pulled those uh sure ones up. I'll check that out. Yeah, I'm not saying go buy them, but they've worked
0: for me over the couple of years. So I'm that's sure great. you could buy something just as good that's cheaper now. Those have been
1: out for a while. Nice. So yeah. Well, sure, it's like a trustworthy brand too. You know, it's it's yeah. Or, or you hope it, it's not going to be crap at least if you buy it. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what they say anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. Dude, thanks for joining the podcast, man. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. I think even back since the early episodes, I saw one of your YouTube tutorials. It was like how to run cat five or how to run, uh, like MIDI over ethernet for oh, like yeah. long distances or something. Yeah. And then I just kind of watched a couple of your tutorials and I learned a few things and I was like, I should have this guy on the podcast. And then I never did until like three years later.
1: Yeah. It's always good to meet another fellow Ableton certified trainer as well. Yeah, dude. I, I always appreciate, um, it's cool to, it's cool to connect with folks. Uh, and then I always love kind of hearing like, what was your favorite takeaway of certification or like what was a big like I always tell my story of uh, the topic I had to teach was warping, which is like, could there be an easier, you know, like, <laughs> hey, hey, let's throw you a, you know, a real simple <laughs> one here to, to talk about. And um, but just that certification event is still one of my like top 10 probably favorite things I've ever done. Oh, it same. Just so cool.
0: It was like the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done yeah. until I did it. And then I was yeah. like, oh, this is the coolest thing. Yeah. Where did you do yours? It was in LA. Okay, cool. 2020, January 2020, which okay. was I thought was going to be the best year ever until, yeah. <laughs> until like a month after my certification, really the world good. shut down. <laughs> yeah, that just kind
1: of took a dump after that. That's really cool. Yeah. When were you certified? Uh, I think it was 2010. Okay, It was before they had the L.A. office. I think it was before they were in L.A., because I don't think Tony was the CEO of the uh, American side. So it was in Seattle at the Art Institute. Um, oh, cool. Was It was wherever. I don't know if you know Jake Perine if you ever ran into Jake. That sounds familiar. Um, no. He was at the event, but he was teaching at the school. I think it was... I think it was like an art institute, which is really really odd. Whoever it was, he was teaching there. Um, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, he, I found his website, which looks like it hasn't been updated since he <laughs> like got certified. Uh, awesome. So maybe able to find something about the event. But anyway, uh, Jake. Um, yeah, J- Jake kind of like hosted the thing, and I think part of his certification was because of the school. Like that was his tie-in. But there were some really really cool people there, and we just had. They said it was like the two days a year that Seattle isn't just like awful pouring, you know, rainy weather and the weather was amazing and that's great. Really, really cool. It was so fun.
0: The Ableton gods smiled upon you guys that day.
1: There's no rain. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it was. And I just, I remember, um, I remember getting to the end of it and like, I don't think I got my certificate, like in true Ableton fashion. I think that came like eight years later. Uh, but, that I just remember getting to the end, and Houston was like, "Okay, everybody passed. Uh, so let's just like hang out." Yeah, and it was just this this sense of like, "Oh, okay, this is amazing. This is really, really cool." So yeah, but yeah, that was a fun. What was your favorite like takeaway from the event?
0: Honestly, I feel like the whole event taught me how to be more self aware while mm. I was teaching, yeah. um, and to also just become a better teacher and to learn from everybody else in the room. And just kind of reiterated, like, I never want to be the smartest person in a room. Yeah. Realizing the people that were there from like Ableton or like my fellow certified training people that I was learning with, like it was overall just like a really cool community and a good vibe and just gave me a passion. Like I had a renewed passion leaving the event for wanting to learn more
1: and to just be a better teacher in general. So that's really, yeah, I think, uh, I think it was uh, Brian Funk and I were talking, and I think he, or maybe it was Jeff K. It was someone recently that I talked to, and their takeaway was really similar. Of like, just from a teaching perspective, they learned so much, like about t- you know teaching to a classroom of of people or just in front of people. That um, yeah, similar for me. Like really great, yeah. really great learning stuff. It was fun.
0: Yeah, I watched like two minutes of your interview with Jeff Kaler because he and I were. Or he taught for Laura Escada's master track class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and like, yeah, that was really fun. It was like 2019, I think. Okay, and I got to know him pretty well there, and we just like nerded out on Max for Live, and he showed me a bunch of cool stuff he was working on. So in the world of playback, I mean, he's also an OG. Yeah, love him. He's Jeff's a great guy. Really cool dude. Yeah. Yeah, sweet man. Well, enough about Jeff. Let's talk more about you. I mean, this is your episode. So I want people to learn more about you. And we've got a lot of things to talk about. I mean, you are kind of the who's who of playback in a lot of ways. You've been doing playback with Ableton Live. Um, For people who maybe don't even know what playback is, it's just setting up Ableton to perform live on stage, typically in a lot of different ways, which obviously there's a billion ways to do that. And yeah, maybe just give some people background on you and like how you got into Ableton, your music background leading into uh, from studio to stage, your training site, and you're doing a lot with that, teaching people as well.
1: yeah, I, it's interesting. I did a podcast not too long ago, and it like dawned on me that I really do think the first time I used Ableton was to like record my music. and some of us there our entrance into Ableton was like we. Recorded in Pro Tools or Logic or Reaper or Studio One. And then we used Ableton to perform on stage. But my intro experience was like, I'm just going to record my songs, you know? And so I was like a teenager just writing a bunch of music and wanted to record it. And Ableton came with uh, my Presonus Firewire, what are they? Firepod, I think is what it was. I remember those. Yeah. yeah it was a great little eight channel interface. Yeah. Um, that was super affordable. RIP. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I I used to have it. I should have kept it around. I've been tempted to like buy one just to put it on the shelf behind me to kind of pay homage to my my start. Just wall decor now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. That and all the old m Audio stuff that I had. But um, yeah, so I got into Ableton like to record my own music, and then um, I really started thinking about it like for live use to supplement uh, using in a band. And so for me. The majority of my live music experience has been playing guitar, has been on stage in bands, um, and kind of the early part of my career was all like church music stuff. And so I was leading worship at my church, which is just standing in front of a group of people playing music. I got really into, I I wouldn't even say it was like the precursor to playback for me. I just got into using Ableton for sounds with my band. You know, So sometimes that was like synth sounds, sometimes that was like a droning loop kind of thing. Sometimes it was what most people would probably call like a backing track deal. So I got really into that. Um, and then that kind of led me down this path of learning Ableton for live performance. And like you said, I have learned in creating, specifically in the past few years, I've really learned that saying, learning how to perform on stage with Ableton Live means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Yeah. And so um, the one particular path of the live performance path that I have the most uh, knowledge on or experience with is the playback world, which you said. Which the unsexy, uncool thing to say is backing tracks. You know, which like sounds like there's nothing. I can, I tend to make my career and my living talking about the the like unsexiest, uncool things. Um, it, but it's working out, you know. And it's like yeah. okay, cool, I'll, I'll live with that. But backing tracks is like the uncool. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to learn Ableton for backing tracks kind of thing. But that's kind of been my main. Like, like, focus and direction. I mean, but,
0: like, that's the nerdy stuff that is honestly the most important, especially for large-scale shows. Yeah. So, like, you would be, like, the nerdy kid that ends up ruling the world, you know? They always say nerds rule the world. So, like, well, playback r- rules, like, the world of audio on major, large-budget shows and
1: auditoriums and huge productions. It, it really does. Like, th- and there's definitely... With with all things creative, there's definitely a corruption of that. You know, like there's definitely you know go to a giant pop act where everything is like they're lip syncing and maybe a large amount of the band is like just tracked and people are just kind of faking it, which is 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 less common than people would think. At least the like whole band faking it thing. So there's definitely like a like this makes me feel like I'm not a creative. You know, why am I in this world? Kind of side of it. But then there really is the side of it unlocks this creative potential for a lot of people. And I had an epiphany a couple of years ago where I was interviewing it's like the, the world's top playback techs and just talking to them. But someone said, like, as long as the artist and me show up, we can have a show. And, and me meaning the playback tech, because even yeah. if the band can't make it, they could fly in the band stems and the artist yeah. can sing. And the majority of people that are in the stadium do not care. They didn't come to see the drummer play drums. They came to see that pop artist sing and dance and yeah. whatever else they do.
0: That's really true. I've done that my my own band as well. Um, like when I had a bass player that wasn't able to play, it's like, well, yeah. cool. I'm glad I separated my bass stem. Let me just unmute
1: that. And then show goes on. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's an example. One, I joke because it's always the bass player, like every example I give, but it's always the bass player. And some bass players take to that not you know not that kindly, but then most people it's are true. cool and they're like, yeah, I get it. We all, we're, we're like unreliable <laughs> and blah, blah. But yeah, but it is true. Like that is a, uh, just a technical, if you get booked for a gig, like it would suck to turn down the gig just because the bass player gets sick or something. And I mean, in a world of COVID when like, we started doing live gigs again, and everything was really, really like strict on protocol. If someone were to get sick, it's like, do you cancel the whole show, or can you just boop, unmute? And, and it's going to be a little more awkward if the drummer's not there and the rest of the band's playing and you hear drums, but yeah. bass or some simple like synth key stuff, you can kind of get away with it, and most people are going to have no idea, no clue. Well,
0: I don't mean to knock on bass players once again, but typically, <laughs> if you're just using a bass stem... The mix might sound better in general anyway. So Well, you I mean, you said it, not me. So my hand. <laughs> yeah. That's right. All the bass players just unsubscribe from the podcast right now. That's, that's right. That's I mean, right. I still love a good bass guitar. Like, no hate. Really do. Oh yeah.
1: So I mean, and I know people too, like bass players. The the kind of common cool thing, it's like there used to be a time when you could just play bass and just play drums, and now you have to be a bass player that has a Moog and play synth bass and a drummer that has a SPD. But in reality, like you could be a bass player who just happens to own a Moog and tells the drummer playback tech, "Hey, just unmute the synth bass." And then during the synth bass bit, you just keep playing bass, and no one's ever going to know. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It works. So that's true. Yeah,
0: and that kind of goes into something else that I've always been curious, and I'd love to pick your brain on this. It might be a little premature, but okay, like just going on a tangent. You know, I'm trying to think through also, you know, if there is a bass stem and you've got a live drummer, which I feel like happens you know, a decent amount, then what are your thoughts on side chaining the bass to that live kick and have you encountered that? And what, what things do you do with that? I had a brief conversation about this previously in the podcast, but I'm kind of curious if you have encountered that kind of workflow. Cause a lot of times people know side chaining is really important between that relationship, especially with dance
1: music. Yeah. It's interesting because I see, I mean, you kind of brought it up side to me is both a technical thing and a creative choice. Mm-hmm. And um, in electronic music, sidechaining is 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 a creative choice that's meant to evoke emotion, to build tension, to like, uh, uh, you, you know, that's like a creative tool. But then it's also used to make room for the kick drum. So it's like the kick is is the thing that's the most present. In my workflow, I don't see a whole lot of the bass stem being sidechained side-chain to the kick within Ableton. Mm-hmm. But... In the context we're talking about, and again, I always try to relate things to like it's almost like you're like hovering above the band and just looking at the band, and you're not like in the middle of the experience. If a bass player were there, the audio engineer may choose at front of house to sidechain the 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 bass to the kick, like not as a uh, not as a, a creative tool, but simply as a technical tool to like again help the kick um, be more sure. present, right? Punch yeah. a little more. Um, if I was doing that on stage with stems, it's possible that might happen, but because that bass stem is, is taking the place of a bass player, that more likely would happen at front of house than it would um, in Ableton. But again, though, it's, it all depends on the context. So if I just simply talk about the context I normally work in, which is live bands, right. and again, using stems to supplement what's happening on stage, that sort of decision would typically happen at front of house. Mm-hmm. I, I have worked with people before though that within Ableton, like, will get the kick drum, uh, particularly in situations when they're doing like Dante or they're doing digital audio where it's really easy to pass out 64 tracks and bring 64 tracks in. My daughter just brought me cookies. So that's oh, that's a good daughter. I'll, if I could pass them through the screen, I would. I would send you. Yeah,
0: some. they look warm and delicious. I'll use my imagination. Thank you. Yes,
1: they. Uh, I may have to take a break mid uh, podcast and eat some cookies. So no, that's it, important. It, yeah. It's very important. It's very nutritious. But um, like, I, I have I have heard of scenarios where like a keyboard player is playing virtual soft sense stuff, and they get like a return mix from front of house that's the kick drum, and um, and they can kind of do like a almost live electronic like remix with their synth stuff that's that's just all like live instruments on stage. And that's that's again more that's a lot easier to do when it's in the digital world using Dante or something as opposed to a lot of XLR cables and plugging into your interface right. and that sort yeah. of thing. So
0: yeah. For people out there who maybe aren't familiar with Dante, can you explain that real quick because they might
1: be confused. Yeah, uh, easiest way to explain it is Dante is audio over Ethernet. And and people that know Dante are like, but there's other, just work with me. So Dante is like one of many, there's AVB, there's some other, um, other formats that are audio over Ethernet, but essentially it's instead of a, a friend of mine explained it this way, instead of a like, if you're used to a studio experience where it's kind of point to point where you like have a patch bay and you take this and it only really goes to this, Dante is I take all these sources and I send their audio out over ethernet which then is kind of on the network and you have this really cool app called well, it's not really cool but it's an app called dante controller which lets me say hey i'm going to pick off this bass drum and i'm going to send it to this console and that console and that console and you you see it more often in like installed situations like a theater where there's a Dedicated front of house uh, monitor console, broadcast console, churches like that sort of something that's more install based is is most likely going to be Dante. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's also grown a lot like on the road because instead of lugging anyone that's set up and tore down in a road situation and carried a super heavy you know XLR snake from the the stage to front of house. Now it's like one Ethernet cable, and that sends all your audio over that, which is amazing and incredibly, incredibly convenient.
0: Yes, and it's a fast connection, and Mm -hmm. the less stuff you have to carry, the better, and the less stuff you have to plug in. I'm all about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So you talked a little bit, kind of going back about your background and Ableton Live and like your early roots of just Mm -hmm. practicing with your band and stuff. By the way, are you still making music today? Are you still working on any tracks for yourself?
1: Uh, I am, but again, I my my job is all in uncool stuff. So, <laughs> legitimately, no lie, the the majority of the music I make is in two camps. One is like um, more just sound design stuff for me, which is not full songs, but just pulling up presets and sound design is a piece. I don't do a ton of it uh, anymore professionally, but like I've got probably fifteen presets in Ableton 10. If you I can't tell you a single name of, but if you go to the Ableton 10 library, you'll find some samples in there somewhere. Maybe I'll dig some up and send them to you to put in the show notes. But yeah. um, so one piece of that is just sound design, which is primarily keyboard presets or just designing sounds just for fun. Mm. Yeah. But the other one that's actually becoming really really fun is making music with my kids. Nice. And so uh, a lot of times I'll set stuff up to test out. Like I know one of the things we we talked about potentially talking about is like doing live Auto Tune. Uh, with a UAD interface, and yes. so, um, yes. probably uh, six months ago, I like had this set up in the office here, and um, my son and daughter were like, "Oh, let's let's like test this out." And so, my son uh, improvised a song called "Beef and Cheese," uh, which is which has been a big hit with the family that he shares with everyone. Amazing, love. And that. so, we'll do that like around Christmas. We try to redo like some Christmas songs, and um, which is really really fun. And again, it's like. I make my profession on un- and uncool stuff, but it's either recording songs with my kids now or like trying to redo Disney songs, you know, Amazing. just for, for fun. So, I would love to hear Beef and Cheese personally. I think that could be a TikTok viral sensation. It it's actually <laughs> um it's actually pretty cool to like my so we have three kids, uh but our two oldest are twins, so they're 10. They're at the age even my my youngest kid uh who's 4 they're all at the age where you're seeing like this creative development happen and you see um, you know, like one of them is very logical and one is very like, if you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And this is the thing. And then two of the other kids tend to be a little more imaginative. My daughter's an amazing writer already. Like it's, it's like shocking. She's written poems and, and songs and stuff. And so it's cool when they all like, mixed together and my son's like we're going through ableton lessons and they're digging on notes cool. and it's just it's really really cool it's like a definitely a fun period of their development and really fun to be a part of for sure
0: yeah man it sounds like you're raising them right i think uh when i start having kids someday it's not going to be an if you want to play an instrument it's going to be what instrument do you want to play for yeah me? yeah
1: well it's it's been cool because we we also um i mean i grew up trying to play everything like I did piano lessons, I hated it. I tried trumpet, uh, I hated it. I was also no good. I like borrowed my friend's violin, and after like two days, my mom's like, you should really give that back. And so I gave that back. <laughs> after two days, wow, that's cold. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty it was pretty bad. Uh but then um guitar just like stuck with me, you know? And so that was kind of my instrument and then Kind of got back into piano and and really, I got a role in Juno 60, which is a long story for another day, like growing up. And um, so that kind of got me into, I wouldn't really say synthesis, but it got me more into like sound design, you know? And so it's kind of similar with them. I see some of them gravitating towards piano. Again, my daughter's like just creative, lyrical genius, uh, which is really, really cool. And my son's a businessman and um, amazing. it's, it's fun. It's really fun.
0: That's great. Sounds like they might have gotten some of your genes then.
1: Well, hopefully it's only the good ones. Um <laughs> I, from time to time where my wife and I are like, gosh, they're going to be screwed cuz they're just going to be the most stubborn <laughs> like creative people on the face of the planet. So, but yeah, they're really good kids. Every parent
0: probably questions that. Yeah. 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 I'm afraid that my kid could be just super ADD growing up
1: and that's just going to be karma from what my mom went through. Yeah, there's yeah, you definitely have those moments of like, mom, was I like this growing up? And my yeah, you definitely were. You absolutely Ah, were. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Hopefully we grow up at some point. Or maybe we don't. I say it's
1: overrated. I'm not I'm not growing up anytime.
0: No, you're right. No, I agree. You're right. Take that back. So studio to stage, maybe talk about that. Like what made you start that and maybe tell people
1: a little bit about it? Yeah. So let me work in reverse because uh, if not, I'll tell the backstory way too long and I'll never actually tell people okay. what it is. So, from um, studio stage, the goal of the site is to help people learn to perform like the pros on stage with Ableton Live. And again, the the main focus of that is backing tracks uh, using Ableton Live um, to run tracks. And again, sounds unsexy, sounds uncool. But one thing I really notice with people when it comes to Learning Ableton Live. One is the majority of Ableton content tends to be around creating music, producing music, which which fits into the vibe of Ableton. Like that's the company, like that's their ethos, that's what they're about. But the music that uh, the the portions of Ableton that have to do with live performance tend to either be DJs, which I think is a lesser amount now than when we first started. Uh, The biggest piece of it now is live looping artists, solo artists. And then there's probably this small segment, which is like uh, bands using Ableton Live on stage, either for tracks, which is what we would call playback, um, or using it for keys, like VST hosting, uh, that sort of thing. And so um, from studio to stage is really to help people learn how to use Ableton on stage, primarily playback. We talk about some key stuff. We talk about autotune. Um, and it's, it's growing and expanding to, to include some of the live looping stuff um it, to try to fill in the gaps of where i think my knowledge of performing with ableton with bands on stage can benefit people that are only solo performers mm-hmm. um and i've had some amazing this this year has just been an amazing amazing year business-wise and i've had some amazing conversations coaching like one-on-one conversations with uh, i just did one with a dj from brazil last week which was like That's so cool. freaking cool um uh, probably two or three live looping artists uh, a few solo artists and they're they're coming to me going hey um, I'm not expecting you to know everything about DJing you know uh, at an electronic dance festival I'm not expecting you to know everything about being an ambient live looping artist but I want you to take what you know about building rigs I want you to take what you know about having freedom and flexibility on stage mm-hmm. and, and with tracks and pre-recorded content I want you to bring that into like my world and so that's been really really fun so the whole live looping space is. is um, something I'm leaning more into and then also going back to the basics of like kind of where we started the call which is in-ears how do you mm. set up in-ears how do you create a rig that's uh, reliable on stage and, and go from just this works for me when I'm setting it up and, and the rehearsal with three people to like is that going to be sustainable on stage and as you tour and travel mm. will that be sustainable so um, so that's from studio stage and Kind of the primary driver there is uh, a community where you can subscribe, get access to a bunch of courses. uh, Templates, I give away all my templates if you subscribe. uh, Just a bunch of that fun stuff. And then I do uh, some content every week, a podcast, a a tutorial. uh, So two pieces of content every week for free. And so that's, that's the main focus. And it's been, again, really, really fun to focus on releasing content that benefited me when I was first getting started, like things I learned. And now I really feel like I'm at this phase of like learning from people that comment on YouTube videos and people that are in the community and are doing all sorts of crazy, really cool, interesting things with Ableton and then going, oh, I've never thought about it in those terms. Like Because of the mm-hmm. way you said that, I'm going to actually go back and redo my content to explain it a little better. And realizing that this doesn't just speak to people that are using tracks on stage with their band, but it speaks to people that are performing on stage. Whatever way you're using Ableton Live or Sage, even if you're not using Ableton on stage. So super cool. Um, company's been around for four, almost five years. And it was really birthed out of... I've been teaching people um, to use Ableton Live since probably 2008, I think, if I go all the way back. Um, and that all started... Uh, if people have heard me on podcasts before, I've told this story many times, so I will shorten it as much as possible. But in 2008, I... Uh, guest talk, a guest taught a class at my college, and the professor said, You're really good at this. Like, you should consider teaching. People now probably like see all the content I release and see like everything I do is teaching people stuff and go, Well, duh, of course you should do teaching. But you got to understand, like, I hated school. <laughs> I was so rigid to graduate. I was just done. I didn't enjoy it. I never dreamt of being a teacher. That was like not on my radar. Yeah. And one single conversation, and in particular, one single Piece of encouragement of someone. I, I like the phrase of speaking life, like someone speaking life to into me. I was like, wow, and that literally changed the trajectory of my life. Like, I would not Ooh. be doing what I was doing if it wasn't for that professor. Yeah. Um, and so, fast forward, just in different iterations, taught people how to use Ableton Live first in the context I knew, which was on stage with bands, uh, primarily on stage with bands in a like church context, and I just started saying uh, what I learned. And then I realized those tutorials were helping people that were out on the road running tracks with like major artists. And I'm like, how in the world am I teaching you anything? You know, and you get these like major playback techs reaching out and going, that tutorial about the stop track was so cool. Um, And so I did that for a while. I took a a small stint of working at a company um, that's like a church music resource company as a uh, product lead, like a director of uh, my title is director of products and development or something like that. It's been so long, I honestly don't remember. Um, And that took me away from what I love doing, which was teaching and training and had me like developing apps and doing some training content material. But I got to a point where I was like, I need to do what um, I feel like I'm uniquely gifted at, what like fills me up. Uh, And so I left that company uh, five years ago, started from studio to stage, uh, went full time with from studio to stage about a year ago. I, well, I basically have been full time since I started it. I just also had another full time job, but went right. just truly full time From Cedar to Sage about a year ago, and it's um, it's incredible. I have the world's best job, world's cool, best man. like community and subscribers. It's really cool. That's when you know you're doing the right thing. Is like it doesn't
0: feel like a job. You're just yeah. actually enjoying the process more than anything. Yeah,
1: and it's yeah. I, I think it's the most life giving thing for me is when you hear back from people that say. Hey man, I love your content and it's like helping me do what I do better. Mm. And I've had, I mean, I won't say it, but I've had like three calls this week and every call started with, man, I just want to say thanks. And they tell this really cool story of how they're using my content and training, like in their specific scenario. And, um, it's, it's amazing. That's great, man.
0: Well, congrats. I'm happy to hear that for you. Um, and I think you deserve it. You've put a lot of work obviously into from studio to stage, just from what I've seen online with all the YouTube videos, you've been consistently cranking out and helping people. And obviously the courses that you've built, which I've built courses too on playback and live performance DJing stuff. And that takes a long time man. just to even build the content, you know, and then, you know, if you build it, they will come. That's a complete lie. That's bullcrap. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: You have to actually reach out and promote it and all the other things in between.
1: It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So props to you. Thank you. Literally, it's been like a fifteen-year journey to build and get to a job that I absolutely love. Like, I mean, I, it's my dream job. It's it's just amazing, um, and it's cool. been a very, very long process. So, if anyone's listening and they're like, "I have a dream of quitting my job and doing this, or re- releasing this type of music, or touring, or whatever," don't give up on it and just just go. This is going to be the long path, and I'm just going to do the work and commit to it and put the systems in place that allow me to do that and Go make your dreams happen because it's 100% possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree with that too. Like, I never thought I'd be doing this podcast as long as I am and where it's brought me. You know, like I remember five, six years ago, just dreaming of the opportunity to even, Mm -hmm. you know, have some kind of source of income that was related to music at all you know, yeah. and didn't, ex- didn't expect to have major brand sponsorships from companies I really looked up to. Yeah. You just never know where that's going to take you. I think consistency yeah. is really key because yeah. it's easy to give up when, in the early times when things get hard, but you just got to keep grinding. You just got to yeah. keep going and being smart I and mean, work smarter, not harder with the time you have.
1: And eventually exactly. I I think if you do that, eventually it's going to work out. You Just got to keep doing yeah. it. Yeah, you said it. Consistency is key. I mean, that is like the ultimate thing. Whatever you're doing, yeah, just do it, do lots of it, and don't stop doing it, and you're, yeah. you'll be there. Absolutely, really
0: man, hundred really, percent. Really good. We yep. could probably stop there, and the whole podcast would be like, "Hey, it's that's done. that's a takeaway." We're done yep. here. No, yep. but I do actually have like a, a small <clears throat> list of things that I would love to fire at you that other people have asked, or okay. even just questions that I think people might be interested in. Yep. Um, so more technical stuff let's get into it. Uh, you actually did a recent video. Maybe you could just highlight and summarize
1: what are some of the most common technical failures that you see on stage? Yeah, that's really, really good. So I'll share two of my favorite phrases that summarize everything. Number one is redundancy. And redundancy, uh, I have a video, as we're recording this, I have a video coming out uh, Monday asking, is a redundant playback rig worth it? Redundancy is just a backup plan. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they hope that everything goes right, and they hope that their rig works. And I've come to find uh, that hope is a terrible backup plan, and I would much rather have a rig on stage that I know will work, and if it goes wrong, I have a backup plan. And so redundancy, there are technical things we could talk about when it comes to redundancy, but redundancy is having a spare USB cable. It's having an extra set of guitar strings. In the technical playback world, it's it's having gear that switches you from one rig to another rig. I see people step on stage with uh, without redundancy, and so if something goes wrong, and the whole show comes to a halt. They have to stop, which is like very frustrating. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to build, like to become enduring. And people are like, "Oh, they like kind of talked it up." That's really fun. Like once on a fifteen leg, you know, fifteen uh, date le- tour, it's not fun when it happens 5 times every show of that 15 show tour. Yeah. So redundancy is important. Uh the other thing is complexity. And and there's not necessarily anything wrong with complexity. It's more convolution, which I've always heard is like one step past complexity. Always choose the simplest path, right? But still respecting redundancy. Like I'm going to choose the simplest way to do it. Uh you mentioned earlier like the less gear the better. I completely agree as long as I also have accounted for redundancy in that, you know, like So keeping things as simple as possible, because when you're on stage, the goal is to focus on the music, not to think technical and not Mm -hmm. to go, oh, did I remember this? Did I remember that? And just hope that you make it through. It's got to be simple. Uh, The other one, and this is like a new concept, I think, particularly for solo artists, live looping artists or people that are kind of working on their setup before they take it to the stage is, it's not a phrase I came up with, but it has other meanings outside of music, division of labor and that's the idea that we should have one specific piece of gear, one specific portion of our rig that's dedicated to a singular task. And people get frustrated with me. Like I did a video uh, probably a month ago now about why you shouldn't use Ableton for in-ears on stage and in your monitoring. And basically the big premise of this is if I have my computer on stage and it's running tracks and it's running key stuff and I'm using push with it and I'm triggering things in real time. And I plug my microphone in um, into into Ableton to record it to Live Loop, but then I have a guitar player and a keyboardist next to me, and I take their inputs into my computer. And then we all have to have in ears, and so we set up monitoring. What happens when that computer goes down? Right, Mm. we go back to where we started. Everything stops working. What happens when I'm trying when I need to increase my buffer size because my computer is struggling to keep up with tracks? But I'm playing keys and I'm processing vocals, like I need my latency low there. So. The vision of labor is just thinking about like, what if I had just one computer dedicated to tracks, one computer dedicated to keys, one computer dedicated to processing vocals? That's like the goal and the dream. Not all of us have that kind of money and so we kind of work back from there. But there's steps to optimize, to simplify, to add redundancy to your rig um, that will get you closer to that point. Just Because again, like I said, where we started, the goal is just to be on stage in the moment and make music and not think. You know, you're not an IT professional when you're on stage. You're just performing sure. music. Yeah, well,
0: I'm glad you mentioned the whole monitoring thing and running multiple inputs, because mm. if you are monitoring multiple tracks of live audio, that can actually eat up and cause some latency and work your CPU quite a bit harder, I've learned, by doing yeah. that from failed experience myself. Like, what are some of your workarounds for that? You mentioned not doing all of your in your monitoring in the laptop. Like, what
1: what's your workaround for that? For somebody on a budget yeah yeah Yeah, that's really really good so i would whenever possible encourage people well let me caveat this if you are a live looping solo artist um i think it's possible to do all your monitoring stuff without like other stuff but i would still highly suggest where to go an audio interface like a uad uh, interface where you can set up your mixes you can add vocal processing in the box Mm -hmm. as opposed to in your computer Right. Um, cause it's almost like having a mixer, you know, like a dedicated mixer. Cause it essentially is, yeah. um, RME stuff is really great at that as well too. But I would suggest as soon as you go beyond being a solo artist and you have other musicians on stage, I would always say have a dedicated mixing console that's doing in-ears. And sometimes that's one console that does in-ears, that does uh, front of house for you. And each individual band member can mix their own ears. Um, Sometimes you show up to a venue and they have dedicated gear in-house and so you just send your rider beforehand and communicate and have um, the most technically inclined or the best audio engineer in the band, like go mix in-ears for the band, right? The thing I've been suggesting for a lot of people is go buy a digital console like the Behringer X32, the Persona uh, Studio Live. Um, You could get like an X32 rack and just let it be your console and you handle your mix, you handle Mm -hmm. your in-ears. And just send two channels to front of house and say, uh, set me at zero, you know, make it as clean, you know, don't do anything with the EQ and we'll handle everything. And yeah. just that one change, like that will allow every single member of your band to open up an app on their phone, mix their own in-ears exactly yep. the way they want it, have their own audio effects, and just let your computer be your computer. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you m-
0: mentioned the Behringer, uh, the Mixer Digital X-Air. I actually looked at buying one of those for that exact purpose. I never went yeah. with it. I ended up just using a UAD yeah. um, Apollo. But, but yeah, that is a great example. And it runs Ethernet too. Yeah, so.
1: I, and I would highly, highly encourage anyone listening to this because when I did that video, within like an hour, I had like six people say, yeah, but I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, <sighs> I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying All just right. because you can doesn't mean you should. And right. to make your life easier, consider buying... I mean, the X-Air stuff is amazing. The X32. There's so many great digital consoles mm-hmm. that will just make your life so much easier if you add mm-hmm. that into your your setup and your rig.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point, too, is everybody's needs are different, so yep. it's not a one-size-fits-all. That's right. You know, unless you just have
1: endless amounts of cash so you can just go out and get everything you ever wanted <laughs> that's so, right and if you do from studio to stage.com we'll welcome you this is your place we'd love all your cash so please yeah so
0: give all life. of the extra money you would spend on things that you don't need to will and his right. people yeah yeah we got to make cookies for the family there's a lot of family and a lot more of people. cookies oh, please that's right yeah. and that's some right. for me too please we'll send
1: them your way yeah that would
0: be great thank you yeah okay so next question as far as stemming out a bunch of stems like how many stems are too many stems uh, what's too much versus just creating a separate stereo bounce that you could trigger for each song and then yeah, just
1: change the actual project or rebounce it if you need to that's a really really good question um one i'm working on i i'm not <clears throat> i'm not at a point where i can share it to where it coherently makes sense yet but i'm working on uh, a few testing procedures where you can load a Ableton file and figure out exactly how many tracks you can run at once based on your computer, your specs, your sample rate, really? your size. I'm really close to like, uh, I shared that on our monthly call of last past week and some people got it. Some people's eyes glazed over, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to tighten it up. I'll release a video. I'll make sure to send it to you so you can, like, Yeah, it, it's because I want to get to a, um, I think that's where some people make mistakes. They say, can I run a 50 song set in Ableton? And it's like, well, yes, it's not like the developers said 49, you know, X, that's it, <laughs> right. no more yeah. than 50 songs. But however many songs are in your set, it's like, well, how many stems do you have? How many audio files, clips do you have running simultaneously? Well, then it's all dependent on your computer. It's all dependent yeah. on you just running tracks, you run other stuff. So, so I'm working on a method to have an exact, like, let's not just cross our fingers and, and hope it works. Like, we know this is the exact number. And I'm close. I'm really, really close on that. But That's cool. I, I do think the downside of just stemming stuff is it tends to be limited and takes... Or the downside to a two mix, rather, or a stereo file, whatever you want to call it, of all of the content of your band is exactly where we started. Your bass player calls out sick. Um, you probably have in your, hopefully, in your original project, like individual instruments, individual tracks. But what that means is you'd have to go into your individual session for each song, re-render it out, rebuild your set, and that could end up taking I mean literally an hour or two to mm-hmm. rebuild everything, yeah whereas if you have some separation, you can literally like we said just unmute the bass part and the bass is there and have an audio interface with multiple outputs, and that shows up in the soundboard as if the bass player was there, which is great, yeah so when it comes to how much that's a really good question. I always tell people, uh separate by instrument, so don't put your bass with your drums right mm. um. So bass is separate from electric guitar, which is separate from acoustic, which is separate from piano, which is separate from synth. Um, you have to do that within within a certain limit, right? So like you don't want to go crazy. But I always say stem as far as much as you can. Separate as much as you can, but not too far. So typically, in my context, if it's a full band, I might have a drum stem, which is like a stereo left-right file of the drums in case we needed to reference them or something but i'm not typically in my project going to have kick tom overhead left overhead right room you know like all of that is 15 different stems um, mm. i might submix my guitars down to like a two track or stereo file of guitars but honestly if i have those guitars separated out then it gives me the freedom to say oh i did this cool ambient thing in the bridge which is just not practical for me to do live so i'm just going to have that and i'm going to cut the rest of it and if i have those stems and that separation that that's the most flexible and to me, everything I teach is all about speed, and it's all about freedom and flexibility. So mm-hmm. being in the moment, and whether you're working with an artist, we were talking about our good friend Laura Escade being at MasterTrack. It's like when when one of the world's most famous people is staring you in the eyes and saying, I don't need that. I don't want that. You don't want to say, Oh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Popstar, Mrs. Popstar, it's going to be two hours for me to go back in the studio. You just go, absolutely. Yeah, they don't want to hear that. You That's can't right. say that. It won't go That's well. That's right. Yeah, so um, having this this flexibility of having things separated out and it also helps you customize for the room. So if you get in a room where it's really bass heavy and it's just like destroying, you know, the, the room you're in, if you've got things stemmed out and you've got even separate outputs to front of house, the audio engineer can like pull down the bass or in a band scenario, the loudest instrument in any stem is a shaker. Or tambourine. So you could pull the shaker down to where it's not as loud. Yeah. And you have that separation, which is which is sure. huge. Yeah. yeah. That is nice. I guess yep. in the
0: past, when it was just me and like two other people in my band and I was running everything and I knew what I wanted, um, rather than having a ton of stems, which could have bogged down my computer because I was running live instruments at the same time as yeah. monitoring, I would just create like five or six different mixes for all the scenarios into one folder for mm. that song. And yeah, then that's a good idea. if you right click on an audio uh, clip, then you can just replace that exact audio clip yeah. with another different mix that I had in that folder of the exact same length. So you just choose manage sample file and you can basically swap it out real quick. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I've done that too, which has helped. It was just fast and easy. But like you said, if you want to do some minor changes and it's as a playback for a full band, a bigger production, having yeah. those stems, separated out, it out can be a lot faster and easier on the fly too, depending on what you need to do. So
1: that's right. Yeah. That's a really cool creative way to get around that. I'll have to share that with the community. I think they'll like that. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's worked for me um, at yeah. times, but I usually just have like four or five different versions of everything that I would need to change
1: instantly. I was just say, that's a really cool idea. Cause one of the things we typically try to do with stems too, is like, if you're, working with an artist or you're you are the artist you're a band if you have it stemmed out or if you've done what you did it's really easy to say i want to do an acoustic version of this i want to do a more electronic version of this and bring in and out elements um without having to go back into like ableton in the studio and remix it so that's a really cool thing to just go oh we've got a two song fly date that's an acoustic set and you've got everything you need, which is cool. Totally, totally. Yeah,
0: and it's computer-friendly. I mean, Ableton has no problem playing just one clip at a time rather than you know, seven or eight clips at once. Yeah. But yeah, that was a great in-depth answer. Thanks for that. Yeah, great question. As far as, let's jump ahead. And, and as far as like, I know you've done a little bit of lighting and video triggering and live. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any favorite apps or workflows that, that you're familiar with that do that really well? And I'm sure people out
1: there would be curious to hear. That's a good question. Uh, An app that's really great for lighting is LightKey, um, which is not within Ableton. Mm -hmm. Again, if I go back to Will Doggett's principle in which I live my life, Division of Labor, I tend to try to say, let me use an app that's solely dedicated to one task and have Ableton trigger it. So maybe even a better place to start is I'm a huge fan of sending MIDI or sending LTC, which is linear timecode, which is the audio version of SMPTE, which is just uh, time information that says go to this hour, minute, second frame to keep things in sync. And you can mm-hmm. send MIDI and audio from Ableton to basically control everything. So LightKey is a fantastic lighting software um, for solutions with within Ableton Live. Beam B E A M Beam is really really good. It's the people that make uh, the company is Show Sync, and they make oh, yeah. um, Video Sync. I think it's a software. A couple I'm of them. familiar with that. Um, They have some really cool Max for Live devices, one that converts LTC to MTC, uh, really cool stuff. But Beam is a cool in Ableton solution. It's a Max for Live then? It's Max for Live, yep. Um, Light Key, people listening to this haven't checked it out. They should really check it out because they have a cool integration where you install the program on your computer and you build your like light file. You know, here's my preset, here's this. And then it basically generates an Ableton session in your user library that when you drag it in it's already pre-mapped to control the things in lightkey. Oh no way. It's it's um I, I kind of hesitated on lightkey for many years because they're like, oh it's not pro, it's not professional. It is the coolest integration with Ableton without being an actual plugin in Ableton. Um, really? it's so so cool. So Lightkey is check great. That out. Yeah, yeah I, I think you'll dig it. Uh video wise resolume is yes. is probably the the gold standard for that. And the Connection
0: connection Kit makes it really easy to send
1: OSC to Reslum from Ableton. I've done that as well. Yeah, you could send OSC, MIDI, you can send uh, LTC, like tons and tons of possibilities there, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some cool plugins, Video Sync we mentioned before as a video playback in Ableton. Um, uh, As far as people looking for like lyrics, um, uh, ProPresenter is a big software in the church world that's really Mm -hmm. big on like uh, sending MIDI to control things, and I'll have LTC stuff. But uh, AbleSet, uh, as well as the app Lyrics by Strange Electronic, um, uh, are yeah. two really great teleprompter type solutions within Ableton Live that are really cool.
0: Strange Electronic makes some cool things. Uh, yeah, for sure. He's got his like light up modular, yeah. uh, whatever thing that he released a couple years ago. He's got. Uh, I'm drawing a huge blank. What is it for triggering? Setlist. Pro. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's another big one. Yeah, Henry's, Henry's a, a, a mad scientist. So yeah, Setlist is a great app. And Lyrics, they just, as we're recording this, released a couple weeks ago, and it's a cool solution. Okay. The One thing I'll encourage people, this is not a uh, an app or anything really um, that you need, but try connecting however you can. And, and I think we have this on the list to talk about, but one of my favorite companies is iConnectivity. Yeah. um uh and i use a lot of their gear in full disclosure i do some work for them uh so it's like there's a mutually beneficial relationship there but i still love their their gear me too me too yeah but they have um get into using their gear like if you really want to be serious about playback or creating what i call a connected stage environment um, check out i gear gear we can maybe talk a little bit more about that but yeah. one of the coolest things you can do in ableton that will Make your band go holy crap! We got to be using Ableton. Is send program changes from Ableton to change presets on a uh, SPD on a, a keyboard on a guitar pedal. Um, tempo sync from Ableton to a pedal is as simple as enabling sync on your output, and then it's like I never have to tap tempos ever again as a as a yeah. guitar player. Um, yeah. As soon as your band sees that, and particularly if you're working with like a vocalist and, and they're playing an instrument, they're playing keys, and they realize they can just step up to the keyboard and put their hands down and whatever part of the song they're in, whatever song you're on, you know the exact right preset will be there and they don't have to mess with it. Yeah. It's it's the coolest thing in the world. So that's definitely one of my favorite things for sure to do. And that's all with Ableton. Just yeah. program changes, CCs or tempo um yeah. MIDI clock out of out of Ableton. In Max for Live, there's a billion different devices out there that mm-hmm. can advance
0: that op- the options of doing that as well. Yep. And shout out Toby from Ableton Drummer. I feel like I talk yeah. about him a lot on the podcast, but he makes he's a great. lot of cool Max for Live devices for like changing different CC values being sent or received and rerouting stuff really easily. So, yeah, he's a good one. He's a good one. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up iConnect. I mean, that's great for redundancy. You were talking about redundancy earlier. They make it really easy and cheap solutions, a cheap interface yep. to do uh, redundancy with their audio interface. I have the their MIDI interface, the Mio XL. Yeah, I love that thing because I've got like it, what seems like a hundred different MIDI connections going into my one computer, my Mac Mini, yeah. and it, stuff gets confused or doesn't work, and I have to turn it off and turn it on, replug it in. It's a huge pain in the ass. So that thing for anybody who has a lot of MIDI connections in their studio
1: has been a lifesaver for me. Yeah, yeah the Mio, the Mio XL is fantastic for the exact reason you said. And a live use, uh, one of my favorite things to set up and work with bands on is. Basically, almost every position or close to it has a Mio XM, which is the little sister of the Mio XL. Yeah. And then you run an Ethernet cable from each of those to a network switch, and everything is networked together. Uh, yeah. You have one at front of house, you have one at the monitor console at playback, and you can literally send MIDI wherever you want to on stage yeah. in a, um, not to mix terms in our world, but a modular way, not synthesizer, but yeah, the, the concept. For it's sure. so cool.
0: It's so, so cool. It is. Yeah. They seem to be the standard for any kind of DIY like setup or like any kind of advanced routing or sending signals across stage or advanced configuration of any
1: kind. They've created a lot of solutions for that. One hundred percent. Yeah, they're the standard when it comes to that industry standard for MIDI and for audio stuff. Like, yeah, this, you could buy the same interface that that uh, artists that are traveling the country in giant arenas are using for redundancy, and it's yeah. like five hundred bucks. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not like that super expensive. Portable. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. It is. Shout out to iConnectivity. That's right. Proud unofficial sponsor for this episode. Yes. Yes. Al, send Dan some money. He needs some money. Yeah, please do. We don't need money, but send him some money. Or cookies
0: or something. Or cookies or both. I'll, I'll take that. So here's the other million dollar question that we could probably debate for hours, but arrangement or
1: session for live performance and why? Yeah. So it all comes down to what are you, what, what do you mean by live performance? What are you, what are you doing? Right. So, yeah. Um, I, I've gotten to a point and I always ask people when I say this, two things. One, don't trust me. It just try it. Right. So, one, if I say something like don't immediately go, that guy's a dumbass. He doesn't know what he's saying. Like try it out. See if it works for you. If not, discard it. If so, then apply it. And then two, also realize this is, with many, 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 many years of, of teaching and experience and working with a lot of people. So what I've found when it comes to live performance is if you tend to be in a more live looping scenario and uh, an example, a tie-in I think that works well here, I don't know, I'm testing this out. I actually came up with it mid-podcast with Brian Funk on his podcast. I was like, Brian, I think I got an analogy <laughs> and um, and I don't know if he liked it or not, but I'll try it out on you, Dan, so maybe this for Sure. Uh, I... I, I'm big into cooking. I like cooking, and there's kind of like, I mean, there's multiple types of cooking, but there's the kind of cooking where you walk into the kitchen, you open the fridge and you go, "What do I have?" You get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you just see what happens, right? And it's like uber creative. it's it's like if it works out and tastes well, it's like super satisfying experience. It's really, really great, right? To me, that's the kind of live looping. I don't have a real structure of where I want to go. I just want to go here and try this for a little bit, and then go here and try that for a little bit, go here and try that. To me, that is the session view is more conducive to that because we have lots of little multiple timelines running at once, we can do some really cool things where we have this section playing with this section that we didn't plan on it to happen. And again, that can either be good or bad based on your scenario. And then there's another type of cooking which is not lesser than the first which is you go to an amazing amazing restaurant and a world-class head chef said to make this amazing res- uh recipe here's exactly what to do here's exactly how much to add and they hire someone that comes in that's also an amazing cook to follow this plan and this recipe and you get amazing food that tastes just as good or better than the the food that you just kind of experimented with but it's very consistent and you start with a plan it doesn't mean you can't deviate. You know, maybe the 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 pork you got is like not the freshest, or it's not the, the the bread that you normally get isn't what you need. You need a little more salt or a little less of this. So you maybe adjust it, but you have a starting place. To me, that's where you go to arrangement view. And typically, most of the times when you know my crowd, the people I'm typically talking to, which is bands on stage using Ableton Live for backing tracks, I say 99.9 percent of the time use arrangement view because you're starting with a preset structure. And it's important to stress, preset structure doesn't mean you can't jump around. It doesn't mean you can't repeat a section or jump ahead or change your song order. All of that's possible. Arrangement view is very non-linear, even though it's linear. But to me, it all comes down to, is it a non-linear, let's throw some ingredients together and see what happens, or is it a pre-planned, we're following a recipe, but we have the freedom to deviate kind of thing? If so, then I typically would suggest arrangement view. And again, I don't have tons of time to dive into it, but it essentially comes down to how both of those views were created, what they're both better at than the other, and just kind of lean into that. And it's not a um, it doesn't have to be either or. Like if you do a live looping kind of uh band scenario, then use session view. But if you also have a band where you do just uh just backing tracks, then try arrangement view for that. Um mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my spiel without going really, really deep. But I I think of it as two different worlds and two different approaches to performing. And again, it all comes down to the main context we're talking about, too. It's super important.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with all those things completely. I found when I had a more structured live set where I knew the songs in order typically that I was playing them in, I found Arrangement View be Mm -hmm. a lot easier just for programming. But not to say that you couldn't jump around. There's some yeah. Max for Live devices that actually allow you to jump around at the loop bracket and do looping and Arrangement View pretty well. But Session View, I tend to lean more into these days, especially for more yeah. DJing or like solo performance. Yeah. I just think it's easier. And the nice, there's some nice upgrades with Session View as well for playback um, and live performance with Live 11. Like they've added uh, the scene follow actions is cool. So yeah. you can program scenes to jump around
1: and play at a certain order. Um, that's pretty cool so yeah I, I i remember back in the day before we had follow actions on scenes and we were like using the IEC driver to automate that and mm. <clears throat> i'm not very good at math so follow actions never worked well for me because i would miscalculate and jump like one clip's playing here another one's playing there which is really stupid but um, nice. and, and this is where i always encourage people again if you're like If you prefer Session View, I'm going to eat these cookies, and I'm going to enjoy them and have my chamomile tonight and sleep just fine if you run Tracks in Session View, not just you, Dan, but anyone. Right. But I, you know, so I'm not like personally offended, and I'm going to be just fine. But I would just always encourage people, I was a diehard Session View user for Tracks for like five years. And I was like, there's no other way to do it. And then I eventually was like, oh, let me try Arrangement View. And I'm like, holy crap, what have I been missing? So yeah. just just try it. like Just see if it works for you. And again, I have scenarios where I use session view, and that's all I'll rely on. And I'll have scenarios where I use range of view, and that's all i rely on. So uh, whatever view I'm using, both of them are enabled to live, and that's mighty fine by me. So I'm cool yeah. with it. Well,
0: you you briefly talked about live looping. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious if somebody's coming to you, say as a solo performer, and they're like, I play guitar and the recorder and the the jazz flute and i want to be able to live loop all three of these instruments and jump around on stage uh like what would you what's like a good workflow do you typically use like ableton's looper do you use cliff like what's kind of been your go-to method i kind of see
1: it as three ways there is um something like loopy which uh or was it loopy pro loopy pro yeah that's awesome I uh, I did a session with someone. Um actually we did uh, Scott. Shout out to Scott if you haven't listened to this. And but um Scott was like I'm going to use Ableton. I'm going to use Audio4c. I have Loopy Pro that I want to like bring into this. And and we did like three or four sessions trying to integrate everything. In our final session I was like, "Scott, dude, just use Loopy Pro. Like it's everything you need. You don't need Ableton." Yeah. He's got to push. He'll maybe eventually use push to like play some instruments into Loopy Pro. Uh, with his Audio 4C, which is also his mixer and in ears, so there you go. Um, but uh, Loopy Pro is really cool. I, I think it depends on the type of looping you're doing. And again, I am not—I'm not Rachel Collier. I'm not um, um, Elise Trowell. I'm not even Ed Sheeran. So like, I'm not live looping expert. But from a technical knowledge of Ableton, I think if you're doing a more simplistic approach, I would start with—I would always probably start with Looper in Ableton if I want to do it in Ableton. Learn the features of Looper because a lot of people often reach out and say, "Oh, I can't use Looper because," and I'm like, "Yeah, you just click that right there, right click and say, don't mm. follow tempo." And they're like, "Oh," or right, you know, don't do set tempo. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, like, start with Looper and then actually learn it. And you could get into a world where you have multiple loopers and stuff. At that yeah. point, maybe Loopy Pro. But I'm a really big fan. If your looping tends to be a little more pre-planned. Like, and I don't mean that in a derogative sense, but just like I'm going to build this loop and then I know I'm going to go here, I know I'm going to go there. I love doing that in session view. Um, I'm a big fan of virtual MIDI drivers like the IEC driver because it's just yeah. built in. You don't have to, use, you know, ClipX is great. There's some really good plugins. But I, I'm a huge fan of just session view, recording clips in session view, using the IEC driver to jump around and say, when I get to the course, replay this, like um, yeah. tons of possibilities there.
0: Well, that's one thing I love about CliffX is it's not a plugin; it's actually just a scripting mm. language, so it's pretty. That's right. Sta- I always forget that. It's yeah. super. It's super stable in that regard, which is really nice. And I've loved it for that. And there's a billion possibilities, but like I'm all about simple being better. And yeah. so, you know, like there's a Max for Live device. It's called one. I think it's. I'm going to butcher this. Sorry, Toby. Back to Toby again. He made a Ableton drummer. He made a not too long ago. It's called One Knob Looper or something like that. It's just like a suite of looping devices that are really simple and easy to use. Um, So shout out to him for that. And then, uh, yeah, I know Loopy Pro is actually releasing a VST pretty soon, which is going to be really exciting. I'm curious to see what that looks like, like how CPU intensive it's going to be if you're doing a lot of looping and like the latency and everything. So that could be a game changer for people in all DAWs going into looping. I'll be curious to see when that comes out soon.
1: Yeah, I was anyone that's like into live looping. Um, I love the Audio 4C interface again from iConnectivity. No hashtag, not sponsored. But uh, Scott, the guy I was talking about, he was u- originally using Loopy Pro with his Audio 4C to pass audio almost like you would do with Dante between Ableton and Loopy Pro. Really, really easy. Really, um, which was which was a cool setup. So um, that's awesome. Th- that's pretty simple to set up and. Um, could add for some really cool results, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Sweet, man.
0: I know that we're running short on time, and I know you're busy, so I want to respect your time. But uh, I feel like we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't mention the Push 3, because I I personally think that could be a game changer for even the future of playback and just live performance in general. Because obviously, you don't need a laptop anymore if you have the standalone version of the Push, then that could be really nice and probably a lot more stable than a laptop, assuming yeah. because Ableton made it in-house. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on using the Push 3? Have you played with it yet?
1: Like, what do you think that might look like? Uh, I have not used one yet. So my, all my opinions are based solely on what I've heard, what I've seen. I, I'll be honest. I have mixed feelings about Push 3 from a playback perspective. Okay. Um, and here's why. Well, let me give you, like, top three really quickly if I can. Number one, sure. Um, if you step on stage and you're using push three and your push three dies, again, I've no I have no knowledge of its reliability, its roadworthiness, but if your push three dies, so do so go your tracks, right? Um I'm interested to see the first time I see someone create a redundant push 3 setup, <laughs> that would which be cool. starts starts to be like, well, maybe you should just have a laptop and a Play <laughs> Audio 12. I don't know. But so redundancy, again, that's something I thought of. Uh, yeah. Two, for a live playback scenario, I need to have at least four outputs, if not eight. Mm. In most playback scenarios I have, so having just two feels a little limited. Someone on my monthly call this past month asked, you know, can I use the ADAT for additional outputs? And I was like, I, I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I think it's just for inputs, but that could be cool. Um, I think it, I think
0: it's outputs as well. I, okay. I might be wrong, but I do believe I had a conversation
1: with Ableton. It is outputs as well. Okay, sweet. And again, I'm just like when they ask that question, I'm like, I don't have one, so I can't. Yeah. it. I can just tell you what I'm thinking.
0: So that could be cool for running separate stems.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, and then the third thing for me is I think the implementation of Session View on Push Three is amazing. Like, I mean, just the fact that you have like Ableton on a device, yeah, is I, it's way overused, but game changing. Like, it's definitely an overused term, but yeah. that's absolutely incredible. Again, for me in a playback environment, it's super important for me to have access to navigate my song. To which everyone out there is going, but Will, have you heard of follow actions and dropping things up in the scenes? which i've say i i heard it i've i've been doing it for longer than you've been alive kid and two <laughs> i like to see my family from time to time and eat cookies so i don't have tons of time to chop everything up in the scenes sure so i would love to see and maybe it's there and i just haven't used it. i would love to see like i would highly consider if it's like load your track in and your locators come in and you press one button to jump back locator like kind of a loop race type thing um I I do think as a solo live looping performer, I would look very, very heavily at Push 3 now. Um, I would just, again, caution everyone, have a backup plan. If that goes down and your whole show is on that, and you could. You could have a computer with with Ableton on it. Um, But then at that point, you're like, maybe I don't buy the standalone and I just have Ableton and a Play Audio 12. But um, I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I'm interested to get one to try it to... Test it out to go. Okay, how could this be integrated? Um, grid-based controllers are not always great for playback environment because you just look at a bunch of things and you're like, "Where's the chorus of the third song?" But <laughs> yeah, um, it's an amazing, amazing instrument for sure. Yeah, I agree. I foresee it
0: as possibly being a playback machine, but then again, like the redundancy, I would have to put some more thought into that. What that would look like, so obviously, that could yeah. be a real big factor. Yeah. But I know that as they were presenting it to the certified trainers, they did highlight, and I mentioned this in the last episode, the consolidate time to new scene feature, which is pretty cool. So you could just take whatever's an arrangement view, drop it into a scene instantly with all the automation and everything in the session view, which is kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: definitely interested to see where it goes. It almost feels like, I remember when a lot of us using playback, were using like NPCs and we're mm -hmm. using like hardware playback devices. So I'm kinda of like, is this like, like retro where we're like going back and we think it's really cool to have hardware, then we're gonna go, I hate hardware, it's all computers, I hate computers, it's all hardware. So <laughs> we'll see where it goes. But yeah, uh, a great job on Ableton's part with push three. It's gonna be really cool to see it in the wild and, and actually get one. So yeah.
0: Well you could plug an NPC into your push actually, MIDI, if you wanted to. That's true. So yeah. that's true. And then the whole world explodes. So that's pretty much. Yeah we've gone back too far on the cycle. So the but, yeah. the inception of playback. Exactly. Right. Yeah, man. Well, I'll, I know you're busy, you've busy. You got stuff to do, so I'll let you go, but it's been awesome hanging out with you. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for quite some time. And, uh, yeah. Any last plugs,
1: best place for people to connect with you. Any other things you want to share? Yeah. Head to from dot stage.com. Check out what we have going on there. And, um, Whether you want to commit and subscribe or not, check out the YouTube channel, which is just search from studio to stage. Honestly, search anything about Ableton on stage and you'll see my ugly mug uh, and probably a few people uh, with negative comments and you'll go, that's the guy. That's the place I need to be. So, um, But yeah, I would love to connect with people on YouTube or Instagram and all those fun places. Yeah.
0: Haters will always hate. That's just social media in general. That's right. I love the haters. Yeah, we got to love, you got to. That's right. Anyway, man. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, thanks again for hanging out. It's good seeing your face and finally connecting with you. Appreciate you. If you're ever in Denver, hit me up. Yeah, dude. Like, come say hey, cause you're in Austin,
1: right? I was in Austin, and a year ago moved, hit the road. We landed in Charleston, South Carolina. Now. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, right on. A little further away, but uh, there's a chance I might be in Denver uh, in the fall, potentially. Yeah, let me know. I'll hit you and Serphin up and. Have a good old, a, a jolly old time. Yeah, please do, man. we will take you out, buy you a drink or whatever. Yeah, we went to a really cool pizza place that was like great beer, great pizza when I was there downtown. I Can't remember what it was, but it was cool. Bl- probably Blue Pan or... That sounds familiar. He's the one that actually told me about
0: Blue Pan. <laughs> okay, that's probably what it is then. Yeah. I need to get them to sponsor the podcast. I would. I love their pizza. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I think this was it. It was really, really cool. It's cool
1: the best, place. man. It's the best. Um, Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me on, dude. This was really, really fun. If I can help with anything, please let me know. Promote anything you have coming up. I would would love to. No,
0: I really appreciate that. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure you give Will a follow. You can check out links in the show notes to all of his stuff. And yeah, stay tuned for new episodes. If you guys want to join the newsletter, shameless plug, go to liveproducersonline.com newsletter. It's a great place to get access to all the newest and latest and greatest episodes and other content that I'm sharing out in the world related to Ableton Live. So you can make more music and achieve your dreams and take over the world. Check back every other Tuesday for new episodes. I've got some exciting new updates about in-person episodes. More details coming very soon. And video for the podcast is going to get a big upgrade. So thanks again for listening. Enjoy your week slash weekend. I will see you next time.